This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the foods that they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your own welfare. And this is what the Lord says. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In these days, in those days, when you pray, I will listen. The reading that we've just read is from Jeremiah 29, and uh, 1 through 7, and then 10 through 12. And, and Jeremiah, through the words of God, have been reminding us that we're resident aliens like they were resident aliens. And he says, make your, make your living among the pagans like we're making our living among the pagans. Don't hold back and don't try to undermine them. It's, Jack, it's so easy when things aren't going our way and, and the culture around us is not like we want it to be for us to try to undermine it. Increase in your numbers. Don't dwindle. Your prosperity is tied to the city's prosperity. You want Christianity to go well in northwest Arkansas, then Christianity's got to go well with you and in your small community. And that will influence northwest Arkansas. Seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the city. Verse 11, he says, God's got plans for you. God wants to bless you. God wants to better you. You've got to engage. You've got to bring prosperity to your, com your community. Peter tells us the same exact thing. We live under these times just like Peter did. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or as the supreme authority or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. We're asking in this series, how do we as believers live with integrity and have influence in a culture that doesn't share our same 
values. And we're going to the book of Daniel to do that. So if you don't mind this morning, open up your book and turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel 3. It's wedged in there between Ezekiel and Hosea, and we're going to be in the chapter 3. And while you're looking for that, let's be reminded that our, our key verse here and our attitude as we deal with day-to-day things, with we deal with the community around us, is Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes it feels like doing good is not being noticed and nothing's going right and everything's wrong and Satan is winning And then Romans 8, 28 pops into our mind. That God's using everything. Through his providence, he's working everything out to those who love him. To those who have been called to his purpose. Man, it's a lot easier to keep the right attitude when I'm constantly reminded, hey, I, I don't care, I don't have to make everything work out. God's taking care of that. Dixie, all I got to do is be the man that God called me to be, and everything else, God's working out in my life. In chapter 1, we saw that Daniel's city, Jerusalem, had been besieged, it had been conquered. Now he's living as an alien in another place. What was sacred has now been defiled. They they have defiled the temple. They've gone in and they've stolen out many of the sacred things in the temple. And now they've taken those sacred things and they've put them in pagan god temples. Most likely they are emasculated. Their identities have been removed. They used to have Hebrew godly names and now their names have been removed and now they have the names of pagan gods. People walk around all day and call you something that has something to do with a pagan god. They're trying to assimilate all of the Jerusalem, all, all, all of the Israelites that, that had purpose and, and were talented. They've all been dragged into exile. And now they're trying to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. You think we have it hard in a pagan society? Daniel really had it hard. You think it's hard to find something good to watch Mike on TV? You should have been Daniel. He couldn't walk outside his door without seeing pagan gods. Then we moved on and we said, how do you, how do you react and act in situations? where it's around you all the time, where you're dealing with this culture of sin that denies that there is a God, a one true God. And we said, well, a lot of people just pull back. They go into that victim mentality where they live in a monastic type living, where they just try to draw away from everything. There's some people who fight back. They want to engage everybody with a poke in the nose who doesn't belong, who doesn't believe the way they believe. And then there are people who give in. They just blend in. Everything's relative, and they stand for nothing. 
And then there's the godly attitude of respectfully standing out, living peacefully with discernment, choosing to be resolute to live a godly life. Chapter 2, we said having influence in our culture usually happens in great conflict, threat, or inconvenience with that culture. If we're really going to make an impact, Kent, in our culture, then we're probably going to have to do it when it's inconvenient. It never seems the convenient time to do God's work, and it's never easy to stand out in a culture who's pushing against you, trying to tell you, just blend in. We also said that desperation doesn't mean that you do away with wisdom and tact, right? We become frustrated, we become angry, and then we say something not godlike, right? But that's not Daniel. Even when the going gets tough, Daniel interacts with people with wisdom and tact. And then we said, living with integrity and having influence is a team effort. We see that every time something starts to go wrong, we see the bonding of these four men coming together with one another to stand up against the pagan culture around them. I've used this illustration before, and I'll use it again. If you've got a charcoal fire going, and everything's hot, and now I can cook with it. That charcoal fire has purpose. But Johnny, I can take that charcoal, and I can set it over on the side, and after a while, it stops glowing red, and it stops giving heat. And it won't be long that that charcoal that's been set aside and put aside all by itself, Jack, it'll go dark and turn black. Oh, the other fire, it's still hot and burning and has purpose. Folks, we're the same way. We need one another to keep each other alive and going and hot for Christianity. It's a team sport. Don, I can't get there without you. Then we said, kingdoms and king, kings will come and go, but the kingdom of the rock will last forever. And that's where we leave last week. With Nebuchadnezzar realizing that there are going to be many different kingdoms. But one kingdom is going to stand forever. And that kingdom is the kingdom that God set about. That no man started, but God started, David. And that kingdom is going to grow and it's going to continue until it fills the whole world. But I got to tell you. Nebuchadnezzar, he recognizes, in chapter 2, he recognizes that there is a God called Yahweh. And he realizes that he has power, but that power does not transform Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because of chapter 3. Now in your, 
in your Bible, Mary, it's probably just one page away, right? You go chapter 2, chapter 3. It seems like it's back to back. But most likely there are many years that have gone on between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Interesting enough, in chapter 3, the word or the name Daniel is not mentioned once. Now the focus is on Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. We see them in our story, starting with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar has gone out, and he's built this huge, giant idol. It says that it's 60 cubics, and its width is 6 cubics. Its height, excuse me, is 60 cubics, and its width is 6 cubits. That's 90 feet by 9 foot wide. It's 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. Lewis, that's like taking the basketball court at the high school and turning it on end, okay? It's like 87 to 93 feet. Where's Aaron when you need him? It's tall. Uh, Mike, you know where Hillcrest Towers is right next to Center Street? On the east side of the high rise you guys know where the high rise is you know are your heads okay because they're really stiff this morning I'm not getting much you guys know where a high rise is across from Center Street so that is right at 90 foot tall so just imagine on these big open plains you have this huge 90 foot golden idol that's nine foot wide in the sunshine, in Babylon, everybody's there. Everybody who is somebody has been invited. Everybody who is leadership in all of Babylonian has been invited into this dedication of this image. Everyone is called to be quiet and then... It starts a herald's cry. And the herald's cry is when we strike up the band, everybody is to fall down and worship this idol. And if you don't worship the idol, you're going to be thrown into a furnace. And you think to yourself, why a furnace? Hey, they've been smeltering a 90-foot idol made out of gold. They've been working with furnaces lately. And we're going to use this furnace since we've already got it right. And if you don't bow down and worship this idol, we're going to throw you into this furnace. Some of you may be thinking now, well, that seems strange that Nebuchadnezzar would build a 90-foot tall idol and then ask people or command people at the threat of death, to worship it. No, not really. Because in their day, in the Babylonians' day, somewhere around 600 A.D., that's how things worked. You see, if you had a disaster, an earthquake or a flood or lightning strikes, the other day, Mike, I saw a picture of, of, of like uh, 10 dead cows around a tree that had been hit by lightning and it just ran out and killed all the cows. That's a catastrophe, right? And in 600 AD, if you'd have seen something like that and it would have affected you, that's like 10 grand. They're mama cows, right? 
That's a lot of money laying. That's a lot of dead beef. And if you'd have seen something like that in those days, you would have thought, oh, I made this God mad or that God mad. Or maybe there was a flood or maybe there's a famine. And so your job as the king is to placate and make happy all of the gods so these things don't happen. Because, David, if I can just keep the gods happy, then things will move smoothly. And if we'll, just, if we'll just bow down and worship them, none of these bad things will happen. And if nothing bad happens and some good things happen, I, the king, David, will look better, right? Well, the people of the nations hear the sounds of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the psaltery, in a symphony with all kinds of music, and they fall down, and they worship. They worship this idol. It says, the people and the nations and languages of all the people and nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image. But there were these three guys. These three guys who didn't. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These three Jewish men who believe that God really is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and they won't bow down. It's interesting to point out at this point that it doesn't seem they like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego threw a fit when the idol was being built. They didn't picket it. They didn't boycott it. But they won't bow down and worship it. Can I tell you, sometimes we need to realize that the lost are going to act like the lost and we don't need to throw a fit about it when it happens. But when it's time for us to bow down and worship those idols, we need to stand up and say, no, we won't do it. Well, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were obviously not bowing down. And there were some Chaldeans. Your, your translation probably says astrologers. New King James Version calls them Chaldeans. Chaldeans is really the word. But Chaldeans were known for their astrology. That's why, that's why Nebuchadnezzar has them there with them. It's because he thought they could read the stars and help, help him out with telling the future. So these Chaldeans, they see the Jews not worshiping. Now, it's probably more than just, I want everybody. The Chaldeans probably didn't just really care that everybody was worshiping this golden idol. What they saw were three Jewish guys in power, and they resented that. Because you know those Jews down there in Jerusalem, they think they're better than everybody. Well, we've dragged them off into exile, and now they're over us? Now they're telling us what to do? Hey, Neb, looky here. They're not doing what you said. Matter of fact, they go on and they even lie about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, they have paid no regard to you. They're making it look like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego have no regard at all for the king. 
Can I tell you that when you don't follow along with the pagan culture, people are going to lie about you and they're going to make you look as bad as possible? Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage and a fury and gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they bring the men in. Nebuchadnezzar is angry. He's, he's in a rage. He's furious. And he brings the guys in, and he can't believe it. He says, now let me get this straight. You're not going to fall down. When we strike up the band, you're not going to fall down and you worship this God, this idol that I've set before you. And if you don't, who do you think you are that you could be saved, that a God out there could save you from my hand? Do you start to see the, the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar there in the last verse? Who do you think you are that, that a God could save you from me? Nebuchadnezzar's almost placing himself as high as a God. He believes, he knows that there is a God, Yahweh, because in the last chapter, they told him what his dream was. But Nebuchadnezzar really doesn't believe that he's got power. Who could save you from this? Well, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king. And they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we, know, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Okay, what I think he's saying here in 17 when he says he will deliver us is that we've been promised that we're going to get out of Babylon in 70 years. And we know that's going to happen. In verse 18, but if not, if he doesn't save us from this fiery furnace right now, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to worship you. We're not going to bow down and worship this idol that you've built. We're not going to worship this God that it represents. And God will save us. We have a firm belief that God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship because we're not going to portray the one true God. We're worshiping the one true God, and no matter what happens, we'll always worship the one true God. This is a great time to point out a fact, folks. We should have tact. We should deal with the culture around us with tact and wisdom. But even when we do, Micah, there are going to be times that we can't avoid upsetting some people. There are going to be some times in your life that you're going to practice what Paul says, living peaceably with everyone as far as it, what? Depends on you. As far as it's possible. And sometimes... It ain't possible. Sometimes we're going to have to stand out and stand up for Christ, and it's going to make some people angry, and there's going to be some consequences for it. 
that Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, it just said in verse 13, he was already furious. So, Jack, if I'm furious, and now I'm full of fury, I'm ballistic now. I was angry and furious, and now I'm something more. I'm not sure what that is, but I'm sure of this. Now, he starts giving commands that get people that don't even have anything to do with the circumstances killed. All right? He tells these four men, or or, or these mighty men, excuse me, I don't know how many there are. He tells these mighty men uh, of valor, these really strong men, your translation may say these strong soldiers, to tie Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to bind them and to throw them into the fire. And it's so hot that when they pull these doors open, that these guys who are throwing them in are killed from the heat. They succumb to the heat. But isn't that the way it goes? When people lose their tempers and lose control of themselves, they get other people killed, they hurt other people. Well, these men fall in to the burning fiery furnace. I I wish I knew what this looked like, okay? Because for some reason, Nebuchadnezzar can see into this furnace, but this furnace is so hot that when they open the doors, and they must have slid the doors back, okay? These guys literally fall into the furnace. But there's enough opening there to see what's going on inside the furnace. And what happens next, Nebuchadnezzar is amazed at. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste. He jumped up quick and spoke and said to his counselors, Did we not cast three guys bound into the midst of the fire? Hey, we threw, we we threw, didn't, didn't we throw three dudes in there and they were, didn't we have them bound up? Oh yeah, we did, King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, look, I see four men loose walking around in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the fourth is like the Son of God. Some people, some translations want to put an S on this. It's singular. Son of God. Even Nebuchadnezzar recognizes the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went to the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke to them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come out here. i got to tell you, at this point, I would have chosen my words more carefully. If guys were walking around in a furnace who I had thrown in there, I would have said, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, please come out. And they come out. In front of everybody who is anybody. 
okay? Everybody of political standing is watching all this. This is making a huge impact for the Lord. They come out and not a hair on their head is singed. And the things that were binding them are no longer binding them. They're not to be found. They don't even smell like fire. That defies everything we know about fire, doesn't it? Nebuchadnezzar then spoke, saying, Blessed be the Lord, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss about the god of Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego should be cut into pieces. Their homes shall be made into ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver them like this. Can I tell you that ash heap is not what is there in the Hebrew, okay? New King James is not accurate right here when it translates ash heap, pile of poop. That's what he means. Turn your house into filthy, dirty, nasty rubbish. You'll be done completely away with. Not only will you be killed, but your house will be made into a dunghill. Your translation probably says that. Do you see Nebuchadnezzar's thought process here? He wants to make sure nothing happens terrible to the nation. So now that he sees that this God has power, he said, oh, wait a second, time out. I back up. This God is more powerful than the God we were worshiping a while ago. So now let's not say anything bad about him. Right? And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the pro- in the province of Babylon. So by these men standing out and standing up for what's right, they're promoted. And their promotion is really not the big deal in and of itself. But what happens because they're promoted, because they're promoted... The rest of the city is blessed because now we have godly men with even more power in the city. Do you see how standing up and standing out for what's right is causing the prosperity of the entire city? Now the city will be, these godly men will have more power to dictate how life is done in Babylon, all because they stood up and they stood out. So, how do you stay loyal to a God when your faith is under fire? How do you stay loyal to a God when your faith is under fire? First, we meet God in the furnace. We're not afraid to step into those high-pressure, high-heat situations. You see, I want you to scour your Bible 
and look for the verse that says, God's going to bless you with a nice house, a big house, a two-car garage, two lovely cars inside that car, lovely children that will always remain healthy and never get sick, and you'll have, a, a, you'll have a beautiful spouse, attractive spouse, and life will be grand with them always. Anna's so looking for that. You won't find that verse, will you? No. But what, would you, what you will find are verses like 2 Timothy 3.12 that says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. You want to live a godly life? Then I mean, expect to be persecuted. It's going to happen. Maybe not right now, but it's going to happen. It's in your future. As a matter of fact, Christ says things like, Hey, the Son of God, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but you follow me, you may not have a place to lay your head at night. Christ says things like, hey, they hated me first, so they're going to hate you. If you want to be heirs with Christ, Paul says, then you've got to suffer with Christ. Matter of fact, Paul says that all day long, they're putting us to slaughter like sheep. That's what following Christ is going to bring into your life. But here's some other truths. Another truth is God promises incredible joy, John 17 and 13. Peace that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 7, or excuse me, Philippians 4 and 7. Love that is so great, Mary, that it cast out all fear, 1 John 4 and 18. You want those things? Well, you're going to have to meet God in the furnace. Christ tells us in Matthew, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For those of you who study Greek, that's first person, present, indicative. Well, what does that mean, Keith? That means that you now have, if you're persecuted for Christ's sake, you now have the kingdom of God right now. And you will have the kingdom of God in the future. So if you're being persecuted for Christ, you already own. You're already in. You're already a citizen of and will remain the citizen of the kingdom of God. There's a story of Chin Min Lin meeting God in his furnace. Chin Min Lin in the 1960s in the communist regime of China was planting house churches. And he was going from one community to another community planting ch house churches. And, and he had got about 500 people to participate in Christianity. And the government found out about it, and they threw him into prison, into a work camp. And while he was there at the work camp, it was so awful that he prayed for death to come. Many of his friends 
were tortured and starved until the point that they died. Jack, somewhere along the way in all the torture and the starvation, he was given a job, and the job was to keep the sewers running in the work camp. Except, Micah, they don't give you rubber gloves and a tool because you're in prison, right? So you don't get a tool. There's your tool. And it was so awful working in the cesspool and working in the filth of human excrement that he was, began to notice something, that he was left alone. Nobody wants to torture a guy who smells like that because they don't want to get around him. They don't want to touch him. They don't want to have anything to do with him. And it allowed him to be able to go off and meditate and pray. And he smelled so bad and no one wanted to deal with him that they left him at a distance that was so great, Crystal, that he was able to sing openly praise to God. And one of his... One of his favorite hymns that he would pray was one that we have translated in English that we pray often. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. Can you imagine he's standing in knee-deep filth singing and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me, I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Quote, Chin Min Lin, there in the cesspool day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the Holy Spirit transformed that dark cesspool of death into a beautiful garden life and light. Church, you want to enter into the presence of God? You're going to have to step into the furnace from time to time, into the cesspools of life. And in those deepest, darkest, hottest moments of your life, I guarantee you that the presence of God will be with you, and He will carry you through these awful times. And if you will just focus on Him, your cesspools of life can turn into gardens through the Spirit. Folks, number two, we have to trust God with a fire. It says, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you've set up. If your motive is to glorify God, then God may save you and you may get off scot-free. 
or you may be tortured and wake up with scars all over your body. Or Don, you may wake up one morning and just be with God. But if your motive is to glorify God, then you're going to glorify God no matter what. Jim Min Lin trusted the fire. People reasoned while Jin Min Lin was in the prison, his followers, that, that those churches that he had started, they started reasoning, if it's good enough to go to prison for and stay in prison, there might be something to this Christianity thing. We need to dig deeper and look deeper because all Chin Min Lin had to do to get out of prison was to declare that Christ was no one and it was all just a fraud and, and that there is no God. But he didn't and he suffered for 18 years in this prison. Finally, the Chinese government, for whatever reason, decides to let him go. He won't denounce Christ. Finally, after 18 years, they let him go. They have a reception party for him. He drives and drives. He thinks he's going to see some of those 500 people that he used to have house church with. And when he arrives at the building, there are 5,000 Christian brothers and sisters to meet him. All because he's willing to enter into the fire of his life and stand out for Christ. His influence had a major impact on Christianity in China. Can I tell you this morning, God's wanting to use you if you'll just step into the fire. If you'll just leave the idol of inconvenience, if you'll just leave the idol of safety, if you'll just leave the idol of a big bank account, if you'll just do whatever it takes to glorify God by giving Him your all, He's wanting to use you, but you're going to have to step into the fire you got to be willing to step into the furnace. you got to be willing to put him first and glorify him. Folks, liberation comes in the fire. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. This is the gospel story in a nutshell. You see, there's something that binds us, and it's sin. And if we will just step into the fire and be sanctified by his saving grace, we'll be unbound. And all that looks scary and all that should make us look burned and destroy us won't touch us anymore. 
Zechariah says, I will put into the fire. He's, this is God speaking. I, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. Church, I, I don't know about you, but I need to be refined a little. I, I need for my greed to be burned off. I need for my impatience to be smeltered away. My selfish passions, my lack of self-control. I need God to work those things off of me, to be unhindered and unbound so I might glorify his name, so I might have an impact on my community. Let's pray. God, help us to be willing to put our faith under fire. When we're faithful to you, God, we pray to you not only to save us, but also for us to set an example to others like these three men did to Nebuchadnezzar so that our city might be blessed. Help our example of respectfully standing out for you and your will change the leadership of our towns and our communities. Through our example of entering into the furnace for you, we pray that you might be glorified and that our community might be blessed. God, give us the courage to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. And the church said, amen.